Maybe you're wondering, what could the visions of Ezekiel, given while the Israelites were pining away in Babylonian exile, have to do with us, 21st century Christians? After all, the book of Ezekiel is widely recognized as one of the most idiosyncratic of the prophetic books. It's often effortlessly dismissed as confusing, dating, dated, and offering little or nothing for contemporary Christians. It's my hope and prayer that we'll see otherwise over the next few weeks. Our world is changing, remarkably changing. One of the most profound changes to take place here in America over the last decades is the increased hostility of our culture towards Christianity. Here in America, our sense of purpose and progress has, to a significant degree, since our country's inception, been sustained by many aspects of the Christian narrative. In many respects, Christianity held a position of privilege and respectability in our culture. And the process of pushing Christianity to the margins has been happening with a jaw-dropping velocity over the last few decades. And as the Christian story recedes from public approval and knowledge, as Christianity continues to occupy less and less cultural space here in America and is challenged by competing narratives, we are experiencing an exile of sorts. No, it's not one that pushes us to the geographical margins, but is, at least here in the West, as Carl Truman noted, an exile to cultural irrelevance. This status really shouldn't surprise us because the New Testament speaks of the exilic nature of our current condition as Christians. To be sure, we're not experiencing exile because of covenant disobedience, as the Israelites did in Babylon. Rather, the cause of our state of exile is the redemption wrought by the covenant obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our union with the covenant faithful Christ is the cause of our exilic condition in the present world. Miroslav Volf, reflecting on exile in 1 Peter, observes that those to whom Peter was addressing became alienated from their social environment in a new way when they became Christians. Before conversion, they were much like their neighbors. After conversion, they became different, and this was the cause of their persecution. But for us, especially here in America, this cultural exile this loss of cultural respectability is a bit disorienting because up until the last few decades, there was a lot of evidence in our culture of our country's Christian heritage. As we experience this exile to cultural irrelevance, what can we glean from the visions in the book of Ezekiel to help us remain faithful? Ezekiel speaks from Babylon because he was taken into exile with many other Israelites, and it was there in Babylon that the Lord called him to be a prophet. He prophesied during a time of great upheaval and confusion. In 598 BC, the Babylonians had exiled Judah's king Jehoiachin, along with many of Judah's leading citizens, including Ezekiel. Ezekiel. 
Ten years later, in 588 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the city of Jerusalem and a year and a half later destroyed the city, including the temple, carrying off most of the remaining inhabitants to Babylon. Like earlier prophets, Ezekiel understood that this disaster was not simply the unfortunate result of Babylon's empire building. Since nothing can happen unless God allows it, the people of Judah, especially their leaders, brought this ruin upon themselves by their persistent covenant disobedience. And the exile led to a crisis of faith. The promises of an eternal Davidic kingdom. You remember 2 Samuel 7, where the Lord promised David that there would always be someone from his family on the throne. That and the Lord's vow to set his abode forever in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where he would dwell in a special place among his people. Well, now these promises seem to be failing. At the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry, he's called in 593 BC, the Davidic promise was already under a cloud. As I mentioned, Jehoiachin, the rightful heir of the Davidic line, had been taken into captivity to Babylon, and in his place sat the puppet king, Zedekiah. In addition, the land of Canaan had played a significant role in shaping Israel's understanding of themselves as the Lord's chosen people. Because true worship of the Lord was so closely aligned with the Israelites' inheritance of the land, you can look at Deuteronomy 12, to be outside of the promised land would lead in a few short years to a questioning of whether or not the worship was even possible any longer when the Israelites would ask in Psalm 137.4, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land. We don't have extensive information about the prophet Ezekiel, though the book does elicit some biographical detail. His name, Ezekiel, means El, God, Chazak, hardens or strengthens. He was the son of Buzi, the priest, as we're going to see in verse 3 of chapter 1, and most likely was a priest in training before being exiled with King Jehoiachin in 598 BC. He was married and became a widower right before the siege and destruction of Jerusalem, we learn in chapter 24. He lived in a house in exile, we see that in chapter 8, and he was recognized among his fellow exiles as a prophet of the Lord. You can look at chapter 8, verse 1. 14, 1, and 21. He was called to the ministry as a prophet in 593 BC, and his ministry among the exiles by the Kabar River in Babylon lasted at least 22 years, because his last recorded message in the book is dated to 571 BC, according to chapter 29, verse 17. In common with all the biblical prophets, Ezekiel possessed a solemn awareness that the messages he was to deliver were messages he received from the Lord. Of the more than 400 occurrences in the Old Testament of what is commonly known as the messenger formula, this is what the sovereign Lord says or some variation, 
approximately 120 occurrences are in the book of Ezekiel, almost a third. It's helpful to remember that the prophets were covenant prosecutors. We're not going to understand the prophetic message without understanding the Lord's covenant with his people, Israel. Remember, the covenant was established to make Israel a holy nation that worshiped only the one true God. And given the fact that the nature of the covenant treaty was a legal relationship, it shouldn't surprise us that the prophets used legal language to call their fellow Israelites back to obedience. But as we know, Israel's history was characterized by persistent rebellion against God. And this rebellion had a strong impact on how the prophetic messages were formed and presented. Often the prophetic message took the form of a lawsuit initiated by the Lord against his people for breaking the covenant. It's also helpful to think of the prophets like Ezekiel as primarily foretellers and not foretellers. They didn't preach in a vacuum. In other words, the prophets brought God's word to bear on their contemporaries. Their messages instructed the people regarding God's character as well as a spiritual diagnosis of the people. Think of them as preachers. They especially denounced injustice, dishonesty, cruelty, pride, false religion, distortion of true religion. They gave comfort and exhortation to those trusting and obeying God. Their primary function was to call their contemporaries to radical obedience and dependence on the Lord. They didn't simply walk around Israel making predictions of events 2,500 years in the future. Rather, they were commissioned by God to comment on the behavior and practices of their contemporaries, whether in Israel or in exile in Babylon. They gave a warning and an appeal to those living in sin. They warned of impending judgment and pleaded for repentance. I'm not suggesting that there was no predictive element to their messages. There certainly was. Specifically, they spoke of a future era of restoration which the godly remnant would enjoy. Specifically, Ezekiel was tasked with communicating to his fellow Babylonian exiles a message of impending judgment on the nation of Judah. And once that judgment came to pass, his messages changed to that of future hope and restoration. And he did this through a variety of means. If you read the whole book of Ezekiel, you'll come across parables, riddles, allegories, recounted visions. We're going to look at the four of them. Synax or street theater. As Ezekiel sought to persuade the people to accept his messages and the implications for their beliefs and actions. What are some of the themes of the book? The holiness and transcendence of the Lord, the grace and mercy of the Lord, the fact that God's judgment did not frustrate his purpose in electing Israel. There's the theme of the remnant, 
the sovereignty of God. Over 65 times in the book of Ezekiel, the phrase, after X, Y, or Z happens, then you or they shall know that I am Yahweh. Over 65 times. The departure of the glory of the Lord and the restoration when the Lord's glory, Lord's glory returns is another theme. Now, the book of Ezekiel can be nicely divided into three sections. In chapters 1 to 24, the theme of the Lord's impending judgment on the nation of Judah for violating the covenant is emphatically repeated in both word and sign act. And this repeated emphasis on divine judgment in the first half of the book, it's not a de facto statement that the Lord is finished with his people Israel. Rather, it's the recognition that only by means of punishment, for both Judah and her neighbors, as we're going to see in a minute, is future restoration and reconciliation possible. As such, chapters 25 to 32, they're known as the oracles against the foreign nations, and they serve a Janus function. You remember the two-faced Roman god Janus, the god of doors, face looked this way and the face looked this way. The chapters connect with the first part of the book by continuing the theme of the Lord's judgment, now directed towards the nations neighboring Judah for their sins. Chapters 25 to 32 also look forward by anticipating the last part of the book because implicit in this pronouncement of coming judgment on Judah's neighboring enemies is a message of hope for Judah. They'll no longer have enemies to bother with. And so a message of hope and future restoration dominates chapters 33 to 48. Let's look at the prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It introduces us to Ezekiel. It situates him in a specific time and place and confronts us with what will prove to be the first of a number of quandaries throughout the book. We read in verse 1, In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. What's the problem? In the 30th year. The 30th year of what? The 30th year since the Cowboys won the Super Bowl? There's no reference given. Now, as far back as origin, the suggestion has been that it's a reference to Ezekiel's age. And I think this is the most likely answer. And if this is correct, such an interpretation underscores the startling significance of that year for Ezekiel. You see, according to Torah stipulations, a male member of a priestly family assumed full responsibilities of the priesthood at the age of 30. Now, the Hebrew syntax of verse 3 allows for the priest to be read as a reference to either Ezekiel himself or his father, Buzzy. But either way, since the priesthood was hereditary at the precise time when Ezekiel was ready to assume full priestly responsibilities for which he had been, pre he had been preparing as a member of a priestly family, he finds himself in exile in Babylon, hundreds of miles away from the temple, and he's called by the Lord to instead assume the role of the prophet 
among the exiles. Living in exile, hundreds of miles away from the temple in Jerusalem, Ezekiel must have grieved his lot in life. Instead of his 30th year inaugurating his service into the priesthood, he's been ripped away from all that was familiar. But the Lord had other plans for Ezekiel. His years of priestly training were not for lost. They would be used to craft powerful messages of both judgment and restoration by plying in priestly metaphors and imagery as only one familiar with the temple and its accoutrements could do. The Lord was bigger than even the, even the priest in training had realized and had come to be with his people in Babylon. Contrary to prevailing beliefs, and we're going to look at this in two weeks when we look at <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 11, being far off in exile did not mean being cut off from the Lord. The Lord had not deserted his people, but had come to be with them in exile and had things to say to them through the prophet Ezekiel. In verses 2 to 3, we read, on the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. In, in these verses, Ezekiel's referred to in the third person, but they situate Ezekiel's call to the prophetic office in 593 B.C. while in Babylonian exile. We want to remember that Ezekiel was carried off into exile along with King Jehoiachin and approximately 10,000 others in 598 B.C. So he's been in Babylon for five years, and he had been resettled in a Jewish colony near the Kabar River, one of a series of irrigation canals connecting the Euphrates with the surrounding environs, and thought to be located near the ancient city of Nippur in southwest Babylon, which is modern Iraq. It's the fourth month on the fifth day, so it's August 1st, 593 BC. It's interesting that the captivity not the accession of King Jehoiachin, the rightful heir to the Davidic throne, serves as the benchmark for this and all subsequent dates in the book. It's so important to understand that Ezekiel's call in 593 BC is still seven years before the destruction of Jerusalem, which takes place in 586 BC. The temple is still intact, and that's important to remember as we'll come to see. The prologue ends by introducing us to what becomes a repeated phenomenon in the book. The hand of the Lord comes upon Ezekiel. And this expression, the hand of the Lord, symbolizes the Lord's authority and influence as he empowers the prophet. Ezekiel's given a vision of the enthroned Lord of the universe, pining away in exile. All the great covenantal promises are under a cloud. It's hard to overemphasize the crisis of fate brought about by the Babylonian exile. Had the Lord forgotten about his people? Was Marduk, the head of the Babylonian pantheon, more powerful than Israel's God? Don't underestimate the temptation to apostatize while in exile in Babylon. These questions and more would have been swirling around in the minds of the exiled Israelites as Ezekiel is granted, according to these verses, 
visions of God.